Oi, Reagan Fox. Reagan Fox. Fox in the city. Fox in the city. Stop me in the tuchus. Stop me in the tuchus. And give me an oi bay. Stop me in the tuchus. And give me an oi bay. Oi I'm turning 45 in just a couple of weeks, and as I get progressively older, I'm growing into that old Jewish man in this parody of my own interest song. Give me an I remember my dad when he would cough. Oh, it would just drive me crazy. Or he'd see... And I'd hear it from upstairs, and I still have post-traumatic stress from it. I, and I, or if I was eating with him, and he did something I thought was gross, I would just shoot him the look from hell. Shoot me in the tukas and get me annoyed, man! That's a little bit like my, what's his, uh, Phil Spector's head character. Hello, I'm Phil Spector's head. That was an early character in Fox in the City, but it's a new chapter. It's a new day. I'm recording this on the day that Derek Chauvin was found guilty, 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 guilty. Why am I in a lady's jail? I am a man. Diet. <laughs> <laughs> my asshole's hungry, baby. Uh, so, yay, Th this seems like it's hundreds of years in the making, and it's just really one step forward, right? Just one step, but it's a significant step forward. Like the day that Betty Ford decided to get rid of her mixers, where she said, I'm, I'm going to get rid of um, everything that I use to mix my alcohol with. I'm, we're not going to keep any... Um, any orange juice, any grapefruit juice, any seltzer water, any uh, honey. We're going to get rid of all the water. We're getting rid of all the piping in the house. We're going to start there. And then we're going to move our way to wines and spirits. And then, um, and then eventually get to the vodka. Maybe. In all seriousness, I cried when I saw the verdict. And then to watch members of his family, because many of them videotaped their responses to the verdict, because that's a very 2020 thing to do, right? And I blame reality TV for this. We have to get, we have to get the reaction, but because that's the emotional porn of it all, right? It's like, well, we want to see, we want, we want to see the raw emotion from people. That's the money shot. That's the money shot. It's, it's watching Derek Chauvin's expression which he was expressionless which doesn't surprise me because sociopaths by definition don't have any type of emotion or sense of right and wrong uh, he was just smug the entire time even as they're saying guilty 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 but then it goes to the family and they're they're just besides himself you know with a mix of i'm sure still grief and and relief and knowing that this isn't the end because he's going to file appeals and who knows how long this is going to go through the criminal justice system. And that, in its own way, is just further victimization and further abuse, right? I, I've been thinking a lot about this since watching Promising Young Woman. And uh, one of the, th and I'm not going to spoil anything from Promising Young Women, but one of the themes of the movie is when somebody is confronting other people who are complicit in sexual assault 
in some ways, even if it's on, on the mere periphery. It's exhausting to have the same conversation with different people and try to get them to understand like what happened is wrong and an injustice. And that speaks to me because I am a survivor of child sexual abuse. And one of the things that I'm just now coming to terms with is that the abuse inflicted on me after, and I do classify it as a form of abuse where I've had to tell, let's say my mother multiple times and she still doesn't quite get it. I mean, now she acknowledges it that it happened, but she still finds other ways to rationalize. And she wasn't my abuser or anything, but it still finds ways to equivocate and, and to diminish what happened to me. And it's just fucking exhausting. And so, so standing up for justice, that process is its own form of abuse that can be inflicted upon you. Even when there's evidence, even when there is concrete evidence, even when you can see the video and you can count the seconds of how long this awful soulless man kept his knee on George Floyd's neck. The fact that we're living in a whatever version of the multiverse that we're living in where Donald Trump can be president, th that this is, people are holding their breath on whether this guy's going to be found guilty or not. I mean, okay. But I've, it, th this was just supposed to be a short thing because, you know, the, the new version of Fox in the City is all about chapters. And so we need to begin with chapter one. And today, chapter one, I'm, um, I'm going to call Stop Being Poor. It's very expensive. By the way, I need to apologize. I need to apologize. I need to get that clip from Strangers with Candy. I need to apologize to that thing that went down earlier in the calf. Uh... I'm apologizing for the background noise because it's getting warm in Los Angeles again and I have to have a fan on and I don't have central air conditioning and I've internalized this voice of Madge Weinstein who used to be not kind to me because of my background noise. But look, I, I, I live in a city where you have to run fans, right? That's just the reality of it, that I, I'm, I make a good living, or so one would think, but I can only afford a one-bedroom apartment, so my office space is in my dining room area, and it's all, that's all in the same big, large room as my kitchen, so you can hear my fridge. So I guess one upside to the falling out that I've had with Madge is that I don't have to listen to her complain about my noise, my audio levels anymore. I'm talking about class issues and how there really isn't a middle class because by definition I should be a middle class person. I'm a professor, a full professor. And, um, you know, I, I tick all those boxes, right? But I can only afford a one bedroom apartment I can't even own right now. And stop being poor. Remember when Paris Hilton wore that shirt and I got her in a lot of hot water. And the reason why I bring this up is because there's a Paris Hilton renaissance happening right now. People are reclaiming Paris Hilton. It used to be very, very uncool, terminally uncool to be like, oh, Paris Hilton is cool. Even when she was at the top of her game, when she was doing that show with Nicole Richie, which is so funny, by the way. I love that show, The Simple Life. Loves it. Do you love it? Do I love it? What? Love what? Eh, every second of it. I love it. Well, I'm so glad we're like having a deep conversation here. Dope. Huh? Sure. Sexy. 
It is a funny show. It is a funny show, and it holds up, too, I think. They, they have it on Amazon Prime if you haven't watched it. Nicole Richie is really the star of that show. Let's let's keep it real. But Nicole, or, or, or Paris, had her moments as well. Her moments in the sun on that reality show. She had the hit reality show, and then she tried to follow that up with a pop star career. She had that song, Stars Are Blind, and in an album that tanked. And then everybody was making fun of her, and Sarah Silverman raked her across the coals at the MTV Movie Awards or Music Awards or whatever awards. Now, 15 years later, it's okay to like Paris Hilton. She's she's rebranded herself, and she's trying to be a little bit Jane, Jane Mansfield-y. Like, oh, this is just the, the dumb blonde is what I play in order to get money, but I'm actually very savvy and sophisticated, and I actually don't doubt that so she did this documentary of just I think a straight to YouTube documentary which by the way that's kind of remember when move some movies would be straight to video and it was just like a crappy movie that they weren't going to have in wide release so it would go straight to Betamax well now instead of that it's straight to YouTube her documentary is called this is Paris because all of her all of her big blockbuster movies that she is a producer of have her name embedded. She's very Trumpian that way. Like, put my name on it. Remember her porno tape when it was released was One Night in Paris. Although, actually, I, that was revenge porn, so I should not put that on her. That was that Rick Solomon guy that she was with. Her documentary is called This is Paris, and it is, it's, it, it dives deep into her experiences being sent away to this boarding school because she was too difficult to handle when she was a teenager and she was abused. She was abused there. That's when we know we can like somebody. When they give us the, when they spill the tea about their abuse, we are all over it. And I'm guilty of it too. I tell the entire world. I can, I, we could be talking over Danishes at a Starbucks and we've only talked to each other for 20 seconds and I'm like I was raped as a child. Cancer? That's hilarious! It's like RuPaul's Drag Race. We can't just appreciate the queens for being talented or lip syncing or looking fabulous or the, the things that used to be front stage entertainment. Now we need to see the queens completely stripped of makeup. We need to see their flat chest we need to see their hair tied up on top of their heads. We need to be talking about how they were sent to the reparative therapy camp and they were electroshock therapied and, and castrated and beat by everybody in their schools. Because if not, they're not being authentic enough and they can't, be, they can't win the crown. They don't have the charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent to win. No, we need to see the blood. I don't watch the RuPaul's Drag Race anymore, but when I did, when I did, there was this uh, Laganja Estrangia, and she got into a an argument with the queen. I can't remember her name, but I, I never understood why she was so popular. She was the one that was on American Idol, and then she came on, and she was like supposed to be this like boho chic drag queen, which that aesthetic doesn't really translate to drag. I can't, what's her name? I can't remember her name. She never wore that much makeup and she like got onto Lagansha and she was like, you need to be real, girl. You need to be real. And Lagansha was like, it's one of my all time favorite lines from Drag Race. She goes, I'm being real. I'm being real. It was the perfect moment in Drag Race because as she's claiming how real she is, 
there's such an affectation to her performance of realness and her voice. It was great. Well, Paris Hilton, as I was saying, is having this renaissance. It's her song Stars Are Blind is heavily featured in the movie Promising Young Woman, which you know is not just my favorite film of the year. It's my favorite film in several years. And there's so much thought that went into that film and the choices. Uh, like the, the male actors were chosen specifically because they were typically typecast as like the, the nice guy. And so they wanted to play into this trope that, oh, this is a promising young man and he's so nice and he can't be complicit in something like sexual assault. And then the other thing was, okay, we want to have Toxic and we want to have Stars as Blind as the two songs that anchor the film because here we have Britney Spears and Paris Hilton who have been just chewed up and spit out by the American entertainment complex and reality TV complex. Because remember, Britney Spears had her reality show as well with Kevin Federline. In a lot of ways, I'm happy that Paris Hilton and Britney Spears are having this, this cultural awakening moment. Not, not so much their own cultural awakening, but everybody around them where, because because Britney Spears had that documentary that came out about her as well that talked about how horrible the media has been. And we all were, right? And even Chris Crocker is like, I'm vindicated. Leave Britney alone. Leave. <laughs> Leave Britney Spears alone right, right. now. No. I mean it. Because she's not well right now. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's having a, a big moment right now, uh, and uh, as if she wasn't a meal ticket to him as well, in a way. But he's like, I was so far ahead of the time, and now everybody understands why I got so upset. And in a way, he's right. In a way, I get what he's saying. But I've been thinking about this because I've been feeling a little shitty about the way that I used to talk about both of these personalities, right? And then I had to remember, oh, hold on, Paris Hilton's also the person who would walk around in shirts that say, stop being poor. And both both versions of reality can be true, right? We could culturally have treated Paris Hilton in a very unfair way, but she could also have been responsible for some highly problematic messaging herself and opened herself up to critique. Although it should have been fair critiques. Even Sarah Silverman's like, oh my gosh, I feel like shit. I feel like shit for making some of the jokes that I did at Paris Hilton's expense and, and, and Britney Spears's expense. My point is let's just not, let's not forget that there were some unlikable qualities to these people as well. I don't mind spending some time
soul and body let's see what this love can do maybe i'm perfect for you it's a catchy tune it really is even though the gods are crazy even though the stars are blind if you want some true love baby i'll show you mine we can make it nice and naughty with the devil and angel too got heart and soul and body let's see what this love can do sorry i got a little carried away there but it's a little bop chapter two chapter two episode 41 chapter two fairfax fairfax i'm being very much like the reboot of melrose place because they named every episode a street in west hollywood or a street that is west hollywood adjacent i live in the fairfax district or what my former co-host might call the ivory tower i'm so far removed away from the from the things that i talk about interesting fact in my building so my building is primarily gay people and uh russian jewish people but there is another celebrity besides me who lives in the building. <laughs> I'm not a celebrity, but um, who, who has had their own claim to fame. And she is a singer, and her stage name is Margot Thunder. And if any of you are Sister Act fans, you may remember her from the song, If My Sister's in Trouble. I remember that song because I was working at the movie theater at the Copperfield General Cinema, when when sister act came out and that was a huge film we were sold out every single night for sister act and so i had the soundtrack i loved the soundtrack i loved that little that um intro melody that they do not a melody but you know when you put together a bunch of songs where she did heat wave and and um all, all the songs that she basically turned into songs for the nuns to sing when they went into you know when they were trying to save the church what a what a late 1980s early 1990s storyline is that i mean i just cannot see a film like that getting produced these days okay she's she's a las vegas singer but she has to go into hiding because she's dating harvey keitel who is a mob figure and she's gonna hide out in a uh, in a convent, okay? And then she's going to help save the, make the church popular again by using 60s, uh, 60s music for an Episcopalian audience, okay? It's going to be great. It's going to be a renaissance of all these songs. Way before a renaissance and reboots are a thing, we're going to do it now in Sister Act. Really, we have, we have uh, Sister Act to blame for the, Paris Hilton renaissance. I really enjoy her, though. She's one of the very few people in my building that I talk to. Normally, I have my nose down. I'm not friendly. It's not that I'm... I mean, I guess I'm not friendly. I don't think many people in my building like me. I just don't like having a conversation with people if it's avoidable. That That's just how I... Even the checkout person at the grocery store, when they're, like, just trying to start a conversation to be friendly, and they're like, how's your day? How are you having a good day? I'm like, I just don't want to talk. I just want to pay. I just want to make this go by fast so I can go back home to my dog and cuddle, and that's 
it. I abhor small talk, but I will engage in small talk with Margot Thunder because I, I, I do like her. In fact, we saw each other today and we were commenting on the weather like two old people. But in fairness, I mean, we are both kind of getting up there in age. She was telling me, um, she's like, be, because here's the thing in Los Angeles, you just never know about somebody. So she, what, she just um, lost her job as a security guard at a studio and she's had this job forever and she was telling me just how odd it is that so many people even the people that she'd been working with for such a long time don't realize that she's had hit records since the 1970s right and she lives in my building I, she, this was somebody who anchored the Sister Act soundtrack. So I find her fascinating. We were talking today about the weather, which is a very old person thing to say. And we were when we saw each other, it was only 70. And we were like, wow, 70s, 70s are the perfect weather. And 80s is too hot. And I mean, it, we were just one old person theme away from being old people at the convalescent home together. If I had brought up my anal itch, which is a reality for me, then we would have been we would have um, we would have been there we would have been you know 10 minutes away from calling gin rummy or saying bridge anyone anyone want to play bridge or shuffleboard but here we are here we are both of us have been she's been in a major film and with all these you know records and and I've I was on network television and here we are living in this Rent-controlled apartment trapped by rent control. Stop being poor. Stop being poor. I don't find anything funny about that sentiment. Maybe if it was somebody who didn't have money who was wearing it in an ironic way. But it, it, when you're born into wealth, when you're born a Hilton, there's nothing ironic about you wearing that shirt. Like, you really don't get how structural classism works in this country and racism right because they're all linked together try telling margot thunder stop being poor tell her that this all links together it does because i do want to talk about my street our house in the middle of our street i remember that was a big hit song in the i think the early 1980s and my brothers listened to it a lot and that was a bop too I was about our house in the middle of our street. Margot, Thunder, and I, we live in the Fairfax district. And our street is just, I may have brought this up before, but people come and they just dump stuff there. It's like a dumping ground. I don't understand it. People will come with huge trucks and they unload all of this garbage, basically. Just boxes and old clothes and old pieces of furniture and it's just disheartening whenever I'm walking my dog every day where I have to see this stuff where it makes me feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm living in the skids. And there's even a service you can call 311 in Los Angeles and it will, and you say, hey, I'm getting rid of a dishwasher or whatever. And they'll come and they'll pick it up for you for free. But people are too lazy because in LA, everybody's in a rush. Right. I know that New York is the one that has the people have the impression people are always in a rush and things are so laid back in L.A. No, people just or maybe it's just like in L.A. They're so laid back. They can't even be bothered to call. I have it implanted in me where I can't 
I can't litter at all. I can't just throw something down. Even like a straw wrapper, I couldn't just leave on the side. I, 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 maybe it's the Jewish guilt in me where I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to pick that up. I need to pick that up. It's not okay to do that. It's my Jiminy Cricket. That's what it is. It's my. It's that that little cricket inside of me saying, "No, no, no! You have to pick that up." Do you know that I? <laughs> when I was sorry, I know I get into these tangents. It's so hard for me to complete a story. It's a very feminine way of it's telling a story because you get so. Uh, I, by you, I mean I, as I'm telling this story, I get so involved in a certain detail that it veers off into another story. But in fifth grade, Owens Elementary put on a play, and I was probably the only acting kid in this school and we put on Pinocchio and rather than getting the role of Pinocchio, it went to Nicole Smith, who by the way, never did any type of theater before or after that. and was terrible even by fifth grade standards, but she was, Oh, she's so cute. It's Nicole Smith. We have to give her the role. She's going to be Pinocchio made absolutely no sense. And I was cast as a, I don't even know the name of it. I don't even know the name. Like the, a person who is uh, driving a carriage that's pulled by mules. And then my one of my closest friends of my entire life, Tabitha, she was <laughs> she was cast as a mule. And I the only line that I remember from the show is Tabitha's line. She went, "Yeehaw, yeehaw! Soon you'll cry." just like me because i think that maybe there was a witch or some i don't know there was some type of supernatural force that would turn kids into donkeys whatever but i remember tabitha's line i do Ugh, nicole smith she peaked in the fifth grade she was also a cheerleader in high school and she never had we i knew her since i want to say like the third or the third grade and from third grade until 12th grade, she never had a thing to say to me. Never, not, not even a syllable, not even a hello, not a hi, nothing. And then after I did Big Brother, she sends me a Facebook friend request. I'm like, okay. And so I, I guess I was insecure enough to accept it. And then after like a few months, I'm like, why am I friends with Nicole Smith? Bye unfriend maybe she's a great person now who knows but that's just kind of a um it's something that i'll never get over i'll never get over i don't like people who like only only think to treat you kindly if if they see something you know if, if something happens to you like you get some type of notoriety in a good way right where they're like, oh, okay, now now I'll talk to you. Like, there was another girl that I went to elementary school with named Uba Ali. And in fact, her brother was on a Bravo show. Uh, what is his name? He, he's a chef. Chef Roblet, I think is his name. And, and so we never said anything to one another. And then I did Big Brother, and she's, like, trying to, like, warm up to me and sending me messages like oh my gosh you're the you're the best gay friend i never had in high school i'm like you realize that we actually went to school and you could have been nice to me then i don't remember her being as like maybe as dismissive or whatever as a nicole smith but we certainly like first of all don't pigeonhole me into the role of one of your gays kathy griffin Okay. And number two, like what, at any rate, the thing that ties all of this together is because we're talking about neighborhoods right now. And that was the type of neighborhood that I grew up in. And now I live in a completely um, different kind of shitty neighborhood where there are mattresses on, on the street, on the sidewalk. And yet a couple days ago I was walking Bo and so there's a homeless person 
on the mattress laying down and there are notifications where they say, don't do that. Don't put out a couch because then the homeless people will come and flock to it and and they'll use it to relax on as they should because we, we, there's a significant homelessness problem in Los Angeles. And I don't know what the correct response to it is, but I think it's tied up in the idea of defund the police. I do. Because, you know, if you look at some of the crimes related to homelessness, that it's, um, I, I don't think that it calls for necessarily a criminal type response or investigation. I mean, there are mental health issues. There, um, there, there's a lack of affordable housing, right? This, these are very complex problems. And if you just throw money at, into the police force who aren't trained for those type of problems, you're never going to solve those problems, right? And I'm, I'm just saying that from my firsthand experiences living in the Fairfax district where there are homeless encampments and which was a major site of the BLM, BLM uh, protest. The neighborhood was literally on fire just a year ago. Well, now they have this thing. I'll start taking, maybe I should start taking pictures of just the latest dumps every day, but it, it would end up consuming my entire, my entire Instagram feed if I did that. But okay, so the latest thing now is now they have a porto potty that they've placed for utility workers right across the street from my building. <laughs> and it's so odd to me because they don't want homeless people to use this porto potty and they don't want them to use it so much that they have placed an armed security guard in a vehicle in front of the porto potty that's on the sidewalk. Almost like when Jared the jeweler gives somebody a diamond necklace, Lady Gaga a diamond necklace to wear to the Academy Awards and the, she's flanked by security guards because it's like a $4 million necklace. They are treating this like the Jared the jeweler of porto potties. It has its own off-duty police officer policing it. And and I saw a a somebody who looked like a member of the transient population of Los Angeles try to use it and the police officer or the security guard got it. Excuse me, sir, sir. No, you can't use that. You can't use that. And I just thought to myself, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. So where are homeless people? They get in trouble if they use the bathroom outside, right? And you can be put on the sex offender registry if you get caught using the bathroom outside. I, explain the logic of that to me. But then... No businesses want to accommodate them in the restroom. And then if the city, because this is for utility workers, puts a porta potty, you can't use that either. The government has a very, and this is a progressive state, right? In a progressive city, Los Angeles. But the, the government has a very anti-mask logic when it comes to the homeless population, like a, a COVID is a hoax logic. Right. They, they act like I'm just going to pretend that this isn't real and we're not going to do anything to really address the problem. And we're just going to hope it goes away. I'm dealing with this the same way I dealt with my own alcoholism and drug addiction with lies and delusion. Singing, ooh, 
That sounds more like an owl, not a dub. Hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> Just like a wild wing does sing a song, sounds like she's singing. Sings a song just like she's singing. I hate that sound. Ugh. I used to have pigeons and my uh, that were on the stoop, not my stoop, um, and the um, what do you call it? The patio, the balcony of my apartment when I lived in Phoenix when I was getting my PhD. I just hated them. It just sounded like rats. I go rats would be more like, but they were. Ugh. I can do a pretty good pigeon impersonation. I don't want to brag, but I can do a mean pigeon. I can't do any celebrity impersonations. I wish I could have, during the Trump presidency, I would have podcasted a lot more if I could have done a Donald Trump, but I can't do that. And that's what they're looking for at Saturday Night Live if I went into audition because they're always looking for 45-year-old bottom sissies. Uh, they'd say, well, what kind of impersonations can you do? What kind of topical impersonations can you do? And I'd say, I can do a pigeon. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Do you want to hear my, my pigeon impersonation? I'll sit on your lap, Santa Claus. We can get pigeony together. Let's get pigeon with it. Getting pigeon with it. Chapter three. Episode 41, chapter three. Limiting beliefs. Now, I've been watching a... a number of television shows about cults. I watched the one about the Heaven's Gate cult, where they had to wear those tennis shoes, New Balance or something, I don't remember. And I don't remember the specific type of shoe. I remember it was not an Air Jordan, okay? And the, the Nexium cult one where they branded the pussies and Keith Raniere had sex with all the women. I saw that one. I saw Going Clear, I saw that that Leah Remini one about Scientology. So I know something about cults and one of the ways that they they get people into a cult, you have to start with a kernel of a good idea. It's kind of like people who believe in conspiracy theories, like the QAnon stuff. Like, do I think so child sex trafficking is happening? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something to get outraged about. So they take this kernel of truth that you can relate to. And then they, uh, th that's the bait that they use to reel you in. And then they get you involved with all of this other mumbo jumbo bullshit. Like there's a heaven's gate. There's a comet. It's coming and it's coming to take us all away our original alien form so let's all kill ourselves and wear new balance and dress the same and all the men and women have to have a bull haircut the same same type of asexual haircut and we and the men had to they had castrated themselves and they had to be androgynous but it was like forced androgyny i feel so free in the freedom cage Oh my gosh, I've never felt freer. And then their parents are like, what is going on with you? You were such a good person. I am free. I am free. I'll talk to you again in the spaceship in another lifetime. One of the common ways that cults will reel you in is to use the language of a limiting belief. And <laughs> which one was I watching? I, I think it was the Keith Raniere, the Nexium cult one, where the first episode, maybe the first episode and a half, 
I was like, what he's saying actually makes a lot of sense. He's really speaking to some of my insecurities right now and making me be a little bit more mindful of some of my thinking errors. Where, when does it get to the part where the guy is bad? Well, the question didn't even leave my mouth. And then immediately I'm like, oh, okay, this guy is bad. I talk about a sociopath. This guy is really bad. What's the little pussy branding? my god my po you got my mons my monsters you shut up you have to do it to show your master keith ranieri he's the master master and then i'm the sub master because i'm a sub to him but i'm a master to you and that's how you're going to prove your allegiance and go milk all the money out of your family that you can and give it to us because that's freedom it's very much like i mean i'm sorry i'm sorry to make the comparison but it's like the nra or it's like these other church cults for people give us all your money the only way you can be free is if you have a million guns and you give us all of your money so we can fight for you to have even more guns and that's what freedom looks like you see it in the social media postings i have a friend i'm not going to say her name but she's very much into these conspiracy theories and one leads to the other so it started off with the the covid stuff so everything covid is a hoax and it's just george soros and tom hanks i love how they throw like a random celebrity in there like yeah 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 like it's uh, it's george soros it's bill gates and it's julia sugarbreaker from uh, designing woman they're all coming together and um yeah they're gonna they want to fucking eat your children and rape them and this is all this is all this is the sleight of hand they get you all fixated on covid and so they can come and steal your children right and so she's but she's graduated from that to now 9 11 was an inside job and she's posting all this stuff right now but the way that you can and they think their mind is so free right like that's the irony of it and by the way everybody in cults have the same logic. If you watch these documentaries, they all think that they get it and everybody else is the one who is mind fucked, right? And so you look at their social media feeds and all they do is post about the same conspiracy theories. Like their their social media lives are 100% dedicated to it. They're in this prison of their QAnon cult or or whatever variation of it it is and they're like freedom i feel so free it reminds me of the strangers with candy where jerry blank has to be in the freedom cage and she tries to get out of it she's done with it and one of her supporters pushes her back into the cage and goes no freedom <laughs> come back in there jerry blank okay should i remove my pants and panties why don't i remove my pants and panties I am drawn to the idea of limiting beliefs because I think I have a number of limiting beliefs and and they're thinking errors and they're 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 roadblocks that get in my way of becoming a better person and I have spent this year in lockdown trying to be very introspective and and figure out what my values are what are some of the things that I'm going to put up with and not put what, what are my boundaries I took out my iPad last night and I thought I'm going to write down some of my limiting beliefs because you can't ever challenge them until you, the first step is writing them down right and so and, and it makes me sad when I write them down it makes me sad because I realize all of the negative self-talk. I was saying in the last episode where where I talked about how, what does it mean to love yourself. And if, if I had a friend or my sister had a friend or my best friend had a friend who did all the negative self-talk that I do to myself, I'd be like, that person isn't your friend, right? So when I read these or when I write these alternately, I, it makes me emotional because I'm like, oh, I'm in such a 
codependent fucked up relationship with myself. So I'm going to read three of my limiting beliefs. The first one is people I'm attracted to will never be attracted to me. Why don't we bend over? That's what got me in this muff up. <laughs> Seriously, drop your drawers. Whoa, whoever was down here last year did some shoddy work. Did you get the license plate of the guy who hit you? <laughs> Seriously, it's a mess down here. My second limiting belief is that aging is a turnoff or that that's the new, that's the new me being too thin or me being too feminine, which now I realized that that was my limiting belief when I was in my 20s where I was like, no guy's ever going to want me because I'm too thin, I'm too skinny. And I'm too feminine. And now that I'm in my mid-40s, I realize that there's a whole market for that, right? And that's why I was getting laid back then. But now I've replaced that because she ain't that thin anymore, okay? Still femmy. But now I've replaced that limiting belief with I'm just too old. People just, people found me attractive when I'm young. And now that I'm older, they don't find me attractive physically, sexually, and then my third limiting belief is that I'll never get out of L.A. because a lateral move in my career is too hard. Because my dream really is one day to get out of Los Angeles. I understand. I've never seen the movie Escape from L.A. with Kurt Russell, I believe. But I, I relate to that title because I would like to escape from Los Angeles. I would like to get out of this neighborhood where I have to walk over human feces in order to get down the street with my dog. That sounds very appealing to me, but I don't know how to do that because when you're an academic, especially one who's reached full professor, which is the highest level in my discipline, I don't want to take a demotion to go someplace else, but I would like to live in a farmhouse or a house would be nice. What I have to do moving forward is whenever one of these limiting beliefs pops up, I need to short circuit the process and just say, hold on, stop. If, like for instance, if I go out on a night on the town, and I see somebody I find attractive and I immediately think, oh gosh, he's not going to find me attractive. So I'm just not even going to try. Or I'm going to friend zone this or like whatever. I need to stop myself and go, okay, stop. This is what it is. It's a limiting belief and I'm not going to operate. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be open to the possibility that maybe the person would be attracted to me. I've even been thinking about this in relationship to my falling out with Madge where I, um, at first I was like, I need to take a break from Madge. And then as things continued, I was like, I can never be friends with this person again. And I'm starting to catch myself in that because that in itself is a limiting belief, right? It's not like I was a kid and Madge raped me or that, or, or that we got into some type of physical altercation or she stole thousands of dollars from me, right? Like we had... We had a falling out. We had a disagreement. It doesn't need to be so black and white, right? And so, but one of the things I've done throughout my life is maybe because of my abandonment issues. Oh, I have to write that down. I have to do a chapter about abandonment issues. I keep telling myself that. But I, 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 I get into this all or nothing mentality like, okay, we've crossed the Rubicon. The die is cast. We've passed the point of no return. I can never be friends with this person. And I don't know how productive that is. It's just a limiting belief. I was in a relationship with this guy who had a huge, huge penis. The type of penis where, like, the type, like, when I watch porn, I'm like, oh my God, I could chip, I could chip a tooth on that. And during the time that we were dating, we never had, we never did the anal. We never did butt stuff because I was like, it's too big. Limiting belief. I should have, I should have, um, 
pushed past that, or he should have pushed past that. But I don't know. It was really big, though. By the way, speaking of too big, was it too big of a request to ask people who listen to my show to submit a question, to record a question, to call my Google voicemail? I, I, I even said, I said, like, please, just somebody do it as a pity, like a pity fuck. Right? I can't even, it's the truth is, I can't even get a pity fuck. I can't even get a pity Google voicemail. Like, let's start with a pity Google voicemail and then work our way up to a pity fuck. I can't even get that. So um, I just want to remind you that the phone number to call is 323-207-0996. But what would be even better is if you recorded something for me so you could have really splendid, crystal clear audio, and then you sent it to me. And just reach out to me, Reagan Fox, on Twitter, and um, and, and we can set something up. Because I, I want to bring that element back to the show. Can somebody please, somebody, anyone, send me something? Uh, make sure that you check out my website. It's reaganfox.blog. That's R-A-G-A-N blog, fox.blog. Okay. And um, again, that Google voice number is 323-207-0996. Thank you for listening to the 41st episode of Fox in the City. By the way, feel free to go to my Amazon wish list if you would like to get me something for my birthday. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to turn anything away. I'll take what you can give me. Are you enjoying the new format? Let me know. I really like it. I really love this chapter's format. But if it feels like I'm screaming into the void, I'm not going to continue to doing a show. It's very important when you have people who you enjoy their podcasts that you let them know. Even if it's just dropping them a tweet, like one sentence and being, hey, I like this, right? Because if it feels like a one-way conversation, then it's like, forget you. Okay, let's close things out with one of my fa- all-time favorite songs, which is Joan Rivers on Celebrity Apprentice, Poker Player. Not to be confused with Lady Gaga's poker face. You're a poker player. A poker player. You're a poker player. A poker player. You're a poker player. A poker player. You are a piece of and you're a stupid blonde. And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash fulls of You're a poker player. A poker player. That's, That's awesome. beyond white trash. Poker players oh, are poker the most players. awesome people poker in the world. Poker players are trash, darling. Trash. You're a poker player. A poker player.